Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday, we saw a bunch of men having their trip through the woods interrupted by some less-than-friendly locals. And can you believe it? It's happened again. Except these men are soldiers, so they'll be much better equipped to deal with it. Wrong. They're shit soldiers. From 1981, it's Southern Comfort. It will show you as much about survival as deliverance, as much about human courage as Midnight Express, as much about armed conflict as Apocalypse Now. The bayous of Louisiana, the home of a little understood group of Americans. They're a peaceful people as long as they're left alone. The National Guard on weekend maneuvers. In 48 hours, they'll be home with their families. There's only one problem. We live back in here. This is our home. They've crossed the boundary into a territory where they don't belong. We ran into some people that are real weird, and I think maybe they're trying to kill us. They violated laws they never knew existed. Somebody figure out where the hell we're going and do it quick. Gotta go east to go north. Damn damn. And the farther they go, the closer they get to nowhere. I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna fight my way out of here. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Deliverance or Southern Comfort? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Now, if I was you all, I'd quit asking questions and whole ass, because my buddies, they not nice like me. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. Part two of this week's Clash, Deliverance versus Southern Comfort, picked by Christopher Tilly. Chris, remind us why. Because they're good films. And I wanted to do Southern Comfort, mm. and Deliverance has been on our list for a while, and there's lots of similarities, and there's lots of parallels, and... A lot to get our teeth into. Right, well, before we get into Southern Comfort, very quickly, 
Before we get into Southern Comfort, did I say that already? Before we get into Southern Comfort, if you've got time, please subscribe to us and also leave us a rating and a review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, that'd be lovely. And if you do leave us a rating, that's eight, and a review. Oh, if you leave us one of those, it might get read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. ARH106 says, The presenters make it. A great new pod made by its presenters. They bounce off one another well, entertain and really know their stuff. Comes recommended. Five stars. And that was the first review we ever received. No. I thought I'd go back in time because you've been a bit slow, lads and ladies. Oh, that's <laughs> We need nice. some fresher ones. But yes, I thought, where did it all begin? And it was with ARH106 on the 1st <laughs> of the 8th, 2019. ARH, back in the day. Oh. <laughs> Hope they're still listening. Oh, so do I. <laughs> Possibly not. Yeah. It might be, though. We don't. We just don't know. There's no way of knowing. There's no way of finding out. <laughs> right then. On Monday, Vicky did the chatting on the Chattanooga, which means today I'll try and do right by you. (laughs) That's good. That's good. (laughs) As we find some southern comfort, let me take you on a journey. Some soldiers are going on a training exercise where if they complete it, the prize is sex. They soon get lost in the bayou because none of these soldiers are very good. In fact, you'd go so far as to say they're shit soldiers. If they're not having complete emotional breakdowns, they're trying to literally murder each other. And just to put this in perspective, this happens less than 24 hours after the training exercise starts. They haven't even gone a day. That's like you waking up in the morning and by tea time painting a giant crucifix on your chest and burning down an Asda because you got on the wrong bus. So it's no surprise that literally two blokes with a rifle managed to take out the entire squad of actual soldiers. <laughs> Apart from a guy who hires sex workers for his mate and a guy who repeatedly tells you he's a chemical engineer. <laughs> they go to a party and manage to kill their attackers by actually fighting back the end. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Southern Comfort! It's just when he puts that cross on his chest and they've literally said, we've been gone 12 hours. <laughs> 12 hours of you've apocalypse now. <laughs> 12 hours. This is what happens when you put weekend warriors under pressure. Me and, this is what me and Alex would do in the same situation. We'd be painting each other. Yeah. About 12 minutes, mate. Woo. Uh, right then, um, histories with this movie. I'll start. Never seen it before. Never even heard of it before. Chris said we're doing Southern Comfort. That's me. And also me. Yeah. So I didn't know much about it, but I was a Walter Hill fan. Hmm. Big fan of Walter Hill, especially some of those early films. I read a funny quote from him. He said he told his son that if he died in a plane crash in 1986, he'd be a legend <laughs> because of how highly regarded those early films are. But unfortunately, he went on making movies because he didn't die. But um, So yeah, I didn't get around to seeing this until I started my first job in film, which was at Hot Dog Magazine. Mm. And they had a room that was filled wall to wall, hundreds and hundreds of DVDs. And they had a copy of Southern Comfort there. And so I borrowed it. Still got it. <laughs> Hot dogs now defunct. So I think I'm in the clear. Uh, I took it home. They were selling off those DVDs just to pay for it. <laughs> I, I took it home and I thought it was really good, um, particularly one sequence, which you'll get to. And then at the end, I thought, oh, good. This is the version of Deliverance I'll be able to watch 
because it doesn't have that scene in the middle that so upsets me that I'm, it makes it almost unwatchable. This is going to be my deliverance now. But actually, I haven't returned to it since, but it's been in the back of my head since we started this podcast. So second watch this for you? Yes. Only second watch? Yeah, so okay. I was really interested to see if this particular sequence sort of stood up. I don't know why you'd ever watch this movie and go, this is going to be a movie I return to regularly. It's quite... I like Men on a Mission. I like the fact... Look, it's really similar, and we'll get to that as well, to The Warriors, which he made. Yeah, it is. Which is a film... Obviously, I love, yeah. as, we, as, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast. All right, then I'll tell you a little bit about the movie. Uh, I love the tagline. Southern Comfort. It's the land of hospitality, unless you don't belong there. It's quite good, although not a great advert for the southern states. As in, well, I, I'm not from the south, but I was going to go on holiday there. It's not the hospitality land that I thought it was. Directed by Walter Hill, as Chris said. Produced by David Geiler, the duo we talked a lot about on our Alien episode as they produced it and indeed have produced every Alien film since. In fact, Southern Comfort was the duo's first film following the massive success of Alien. And there's a similarity between these two movies. Mm. Big in, time. Mm, Hill and Geiler had basically got a deal with 20th Century Fox where they were on the lookout for scripts that could have a low budget but be commercially successful. Uh, the difference, though, is that Alien cost $11 million and made over $100 million. This cost $7.5 million and made $222,000 in France. It made just under three worldwide, mm. but it was not a big film. Is that the similarity you were going for as well? No, I think the fact that the de facto leader who you sort of trust in gets killed early on. Interesting. Um, it's Tom... Who's it, who is it in, in Alien? Beresford? No. Beres who's Tom Beresford? Uh, Tom... Oh, my God. Now I'm annoyed. Shh, don't do that. Tom... Ha, ha. It's an H <laughs> word. Tom... Ha, ha, ha. Beringer! Yeah, he's not in Alien. <laughs> Who's Dallas? Yeah. Tom Skerritt. Tom Skerritt, damn it. <laughs> we got there in the end. Anyway, sorry, that was boring. I feel like that's a, a big similarity. Tom Skerritt. And, and other people then have to step up and, and it changes all the relationship between the, the battalion. Okay. Uh, well, again, that's the difference I, I was just saying was, yeah, this did not do any business at all. Uh, Walter Hill uh, says about it... <laughs> It didn't make a fucking nickel anywhere. <laughs> Foreign, domestic, anything. It was a universal audience failure. <laughs> Usually you can say they loved it in Japan or something. I don't think anybody loved it anywhere. <laughs> so that's Walter Hill talking about the lack of success of Southern Comfort. Um, it's often been described as an allegory for the Vietnam War. Obviously, the whole idea of a troop of soldiers with all this training end up in a land where the locals are much better equipped because they know the landscape. Uh, but Walter Hill has said on that, we were very aware people were going to see it as a metaphor for Vietnam. The day we had the cast read before we went into the swamps, I told everybody people are going to say this is about Vietnam. They can say whatever they want. I don't want to hear another word about it. Why do you think Why? he says that? Yeah, it's just... so bizarre that he, he really gets annoyed when people make that comparison, when it's so clearly there. Yeah. I mean, it's even set in 73, the year but... that I think the American troops pulled out. I think he doesn't want it to be, though. I think that's what it is. I think even if it, there is a comparison, he wants this to be a horror movie, a survival movie about these men and what you do put under an intense situation. And he feels like it will get lumped in <clears> with a lot of other... 
you know, Vietnam movies if it's called that. And it wasn't what he wanted to make. But unfortunately, his intention does not line up with, as an audience member, what you're seeing. And it's not just that. Maybe he's worried it's just become so specific because it could be about Native Americans, what happens. It also could be about how Americans conduct themselves at times of war. Like there are lots of things that Mm -hmm. could, you know, that you could compare it to. But it it feels like a Vietnam story. I think also he would he was getting annoyed because he, he said Vietnam was a very oppressive uh, presence on America in 1980 and 1981 that it isn't so much now. Mm. So I think, you know, maybe he was he, he thought it would put people off coming to see it. Mm. Uh, it's a shame that more people didn't see it, if only because by all accounts, it was a very tough movie <laughs> to make. Uh, they shot it on location in the Louisiana Bayou. Um, Hill says of that, that the actors did a very good job. I was very fortunate to have the cast that I had. Jesus, it was a hard movie to make. Powers Booth, who plays Harden, simply says, it was unbelievably tough. (laughs) It was unbelievably tough. How can actors hit their mark in two feet of water? I don't know. That is a fair question. (laughs) Yeah, I got a good quote from Hill from that he talked to the AV club. Um, He said, it's a very hard location to get in there, very hard to shoot. I remember so many times we'd only have a few minutes to set the camera because the bottom of the swamp would give way. Yeah, it'd sink. (laughs) It was just hard. The weather was miserable. However, I will say this. If you choose to go make a movie in a swamp in the middle of winter, you probably get what you deserve. Mm. Yeah. Um, Just as an aside, uh, while we're talking about actors hitting their marks, we've never discussed... Have either of you ever acted? Uh, I did Amdram when I was younger. I was in a theatre group. Okay. You know my friend Lucy that I talk about a lot? You do talk about her. Uh, That's where we met. We didn't go to school together. And so I got sent to like a theatre thing by my mum and dad to keep me out of trouble. And I met Lucy and then got in love. <laughs> Have you ever appeared on stage in a play? Did you put on a production? Oh, my God. It's One day you'll see. So we did put on a Wait, stage. Wait, is it play. filmed? We did a film. So <laughs> it's, it's really... Oh, my God. We did a play where the, the writer-director, I could talk about him, like, I don't know what happened to him, but he decided he wanted to do a play about homelessness because he had experience of that. Mm-hmm. And he basically wrote all the women as sex workers, <laughs> but we were 13, 14, not good. Then he got, so it was when the lottery had just started giving out money. The lottery had just started. So you could get lottery money for fucking anything, yeah. right? So he, he got a camera. He got loads of money from the lottery and bought a camera. And he sent us onto the moors to make a survival drama about a group of kids being hunted by a serial killer, but he couldn't afford to hang... Oh, God, this serial killer killed people, but he couldn't afford to like have them hanging from trees by their neck because that's too scary in terms of... Whatever. Health and safety. So what he had was a killer who hung people from trees by their middle, <laughs> <laughs> which is mad when you think about it. And then we always it's was... like the blade crotch thing in Seven, going. We can't afford to make a blade. Yeah, put a spoon on it. <laughs> <laughs> then we went to a screening in the theatre, which we had to pay to go and see, even though we were in was it, it. A feature. Yeah, and it was about three hours long. <laughs> it was just ridiculous, and he couldn't afford. Well, he couldn't get the health and safety and also we were minor we were kids actual kids so we weren't allowed to stay out on the moors overnight for very fucking obvious reasons uh-huh. so we did and I recognised it in Deliverance I think a little bit he just put a cap on the camera and just pretended it was night time <laughs> so in Deliverance the bit where John Voight goes to sleep that is a filter it doesn't yeah, look oh, like no, night time yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like I've been in that film <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's a weird amount of movies do day for night yeah and it doesn't look like night no so um is it available and what's it called? It's called Lost. 
Uh, I don't think it is. I would... I've seen that. Does it start with a plane crash? <laughs> yeah, just Google Lost. Google Lost and you'll find... I thought Vicky that was rather Sanders. good. <laughs> Not so sure about the ending. Yeah, it lost its way, What is it? Matthew but... Fox like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's as, I got one line in that film. Uh, that's as far as my acting career ever went. I think, I mean, he had these two theatre... I was just too young for it and I just wasn't that interested. But Lucy was in a sort of older person's theatre group where they did more serious stuff, but it wasn't for me... You know, if Lost is available, somewhere, yeah, it'll be it, on VHS only. It's going to be watched. God, imagine! It might even be discussed on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Survival serial killer thriller. Yeah, what do we pair it with? What do you pair a movie where the serial killer hangs oh. people from their middles? We, we've been thinking about <laughs> Seven, haven't we? Maybe Sounds Seven. Like it, yeah. Seven v Lost. Mm. I get. What was my one line? I can't remember. Our, lead, our leader. No one had character names because he didn't write that in the script. So everyone just called their sex own name. Sex worker one. Sex worker two. Right. And it was. And I had a really strong, a more strong, more pronounced Blackburn accent. And my line was something like, "Our leader was called Liam," and I had to say that we were lost and we were bored. And I remember being there, and all you can hear is me going, Liam, <laughs> Liam, we're lost. <laughs> all the L's. That's my line, yeah. And he's like, shut up, Vicky. And I'm like, okay, cool. Excellent. Uh, Chris? Uh, I acted a lot in school. I loved acting. I was terrible at it, sadly. Um, oh. So in grown-up life, I have just been an extra in two movies, which I might Shaun of the Dead. And... No, no, no. I wasn't an extra in that. I was a journalist. I wasn't supposed to be pouring at the window there. <laughs> I just felt like I wanted my hand to be in Shaun of the Dead. No, um... Two of the worst films oh, of all hostile. time. Oh, Hostel. No, no. I was on the set. I wasn't in it. Two of the worst films of all time. One is called Killing Me Softly, starring Joseph Fiennes and Heather Graham. Uh, so bad. How did this get made? Did it this week? Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, they didn't mention the fact that I got cut out. I was playing. I was supposed to be Man on Tube, but I decided to be Man on Tube wearing bright Crystal Palace scarf. And they got very pissed off. <laughs> they got very pissed off and I had to be removed and put in the background. And then the other film was a sequel, a sports sequel called uh, Slapshot 2, which I got involved with when I was traveling around Canada. And it's the sequel that replaced Paul Newman with Gary Busey and Stephen Baldwin. Wow. <laughs> so it was, a, it, was a, it was a step down. An ice hockey thing. Yeah, and yeah. I got paid in crisps, Mars bars and Coca-Cola. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh. uh, have you ever acted, Alex? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was, that was the point. Here we go. Here we go. I carried a briefcase at school. Wait, wrong anecdote. <laughs> wrong anecdote. Uh, you all know me. You all know what I do. Uh, yeah, I was in a Juice Bigelow, European Jiggler, and uh, played a zombie in Dora. I can't even do it anymore. Right, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> so, the Louisiana National Guard are about to go on a training exercise in the bayou, the Louisiana swamps. Um, so I looked at the National Guard because I was a bit confused at the start about why they are so shit. It took me ages to figure it out. I was like... Yes, yeah, so I was Googling it. <laughs> trying yeah. to, trying to... I thought they were real soldiers. Yeah, well, it's quite a... It, it gets quite boring, but I'll try and do it very quickly the National Guard can be made up of real soldiers part-time soldiers and civilians who are called up in case states of emer in states of emergency when they need to fill the ranks of the National Guard they're not the real army mm -hmm. and I got a quote from an actual army officer uh, I found online who sort of talks about them being you know second tier not that great they get the hand-me-downs so they can be called up they're kind of a bit like the TA yeah. except mm. not as good okay. as the yeah. TA and derogatorily they're called weekend warriors basically right. mm. that's what we'd think of yeah, so that's why there's sort of a bit of a mixed bag um, and why uh, the uh, sergeant, who uh, Sergeant Poole, who seems to be a little better equipped yes. and why when he goes, it all starts to fall apart right. because he mm -hmm. 
could well be a proper soldier, whereas okay. the others are civilians who've been called up. Right. So that is who the National Guard are and why these soldiers are so shit. So let's meet our main guardsmen. Uh, first, we've got Spencer, played by Keith Carradine, uh, part of the Carradine acting dynasty, half-brother to David Carradine. Uh, he, uh, We meet him telling the boys that he's organised six sex workers for when they reach the end of the march. Uh, they're all... Very much into this. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, looking forward to some military yeah. penetration. Mm-hmm. It's such a bad idea. It's such a weird thing to do without asking people first. It's like, yeah. I think it's kind. Do you, <laughs> do you really? Chris thinks it's generous. <laughs> Surprise, sex workers. <laughs> As he finds out, not everyone is into them. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, Hardin, uh, played by Powers Booth. Uh, who I took a while to recognise as Curly Bill in Tombstone. Yeah, I, I was going to say another thing about this film when I first watched it was like, oh, I need to make a note of lots of these actors because mm. there are a lot of that guy. Yeah. But that guy's I really like, especially Powers Booth and Keith Carradine. Mm. Yeah, those two are great. Although I think... It's a weird thing, isn't it? The, an experience that you don't get a lot when you watch a movie these days. If this movie was made these days, like, you know, or take something like Inglorious Bastards, mm. like you say, you kind of know who's going to survive and who's going to not survive based yeah. on the star power yeah. of the different that people, unless the movie actively goes, oh, I'm going to mess with that formula, yeah. like Drew Barrymore and Scream. So in this, I watched this, and genuinely, I was like, I Fred Ward was the most famous person yeah. because yeah. of Tremors for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I know who he is. The rest of them, I've got no idea who's important and who's expendable, which is exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting to not know what order they go in. It makes you pay closer attention to the characters and try and work out who might be, because of like their character, a good guy compared sure. to the others, which is why it's interesting that Spencer opens with sex workers because you're like, oh, a bit of a sleaze. Mm. Yeah. Powers Booth plays Hardin. He says no uh, to the sex workers uh, because he has a wife <clears throat> or because he's a chemical engineer. One that's of the his two. Character. <laughs> I'm a married chemical engineer and that's all you need to know. Why do we get told he's a chemical engineer no quite idea. so much by the film? To then not have him use chemical engineering <laughs> at all. I swore that he was going to find some moss that reacted well with like some lizard blood yeah. and make a bomb. And yet it's just like, yeah, I'm a chemical engineer. I think there's some there's stuff There's going to be a reason. Unless it's me. Well, no, it could be me. First of all, I think doing the sex workers is like the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow mm. is a bad idea. Why? Because you need, you don't, right, you, there, are, there are no like massive stars in this. You're trying to empathise, trying to put yourself in that headspace, do all of that. Like, what would I do? What would I do? And unless you have used a sex worker, you're like, well, I wouldn't do that. So have you can have it in the mix, but why can't it just be, we need to go home? Like, that's all it is. Everyone can empathise with going home. And you can still have the sex worker thing there, but it feels like, apart from Hardin, most people are like, yeah, all right, maybe I'm not that into it, but cool, I will go along with this kind of thing. And so you, I find it a challenge to empathy. It's, that's interesting, because I guess to, on some level... You know, the, you want to, yeah, these are everymen. It's like Spencer, especially, while he's not like an everyman, he is like someone, like you say, you want to empathise with. And it's just, there is, the, 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 the statistically, the number of people that have used sex workers is going to be smaller than the people who just quite like their house. Just want to go home. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And so I was like, okay, you know, watching a film, is you're, you're in someone else's shoes, in someone else's head. And I was like, oh, I'm immediately out of that headspace. Mm. Or... I don't really care what happens to you because I don't know these people. And so you're on this trek. And if this trek goes wrong, you don't get to have sex with someone. Mm. Okay, like, that's fine. <laughs> I... Whereas not getting home is such a totemic thing. 
I was impressed with how much Spencer wants to support the Louisiana sex work industry. Sure. <laughs> and the fact that you don't want these women to get that money is disappointing, Vicky. And I'm, I'm, a, li- I'm a little surprised at you, if I'm honest. 100%, I can see that. <laughs> Come on. Sisters, right? <laughs> So uh, we've also got Bowden, or coach, um, who's a massive American football player, come teacher, come guardsman, who doesn't want any part in the sex workers because he's a Christian with good Christian values. Um, just an interesting aside, he's credited here as being played by Carlos Brown. Uh, I did a bit of digging. Uh, that was his stage name. His real name was Alan Autry who uh, changed his name back to Alan Autry after this film because while they were making this movie, he looked up at his dad, who he'd never met, and met him on location because he lived near where they were shooting. Wow. And like decided to change his name back to Alan Autry and met cool. his father for the first time during the making of this film. Lovely. He also went on to do two terms as the mayor of Fresno. Did he? Mm. Yeah. He had a good career as a politician and was in Brewster's Millions. That's uh, it's old Alan Autry there. So the other three worth noting at this point are Reese, played by the most famous person to me, Fred Ward. Uh, he's an actual psycho. Mm. And Stucky, who's is a bit of a joker, and tells a story about a friend who got bit by a coral snake and had to chop off part of their hand, which feels like definite foreshadowing <laughs> and absolutely isn't definite <laughs> foreshadowing. It's just... Dies by quicksand, not by a snake bite or anything to do with snake bites. No one gets bitten by a snake. There isn't even a snake in it. Very strange. There is. The one that got mentioned in that story. Tick, we've done, we done snakes. And then we've got Casper. Uh, who I think is a really interesting character. Mm. Uh, he becomes de facto leader after Staff Sergeant Poole dies. Uh, he has a moustache and he takes being in the National Guard very seriously to the point of maybe believing its ability and his own indestructibility mm. as a result of being in it, which I think makes him a really interesting character because whereas Bowden goes like has a breakdown in a very clear, obvious, that man's gone nuts way... I think Casper has a very quiet breakdown that you are never sure if he's had a breakdown yeah. or not. I think he's the most relatable and he's the most uh, fleshed out. I think as he seems, the sort of, the officiousness, is, it feels quite British. Like you can imagine he could be British. Like He's Captain take, Mannering. He is a bit, yeah. yeah. Like taking something so seriously because you've been told to, <laughs> basically, um, and just believing in the chain of command and the order, whereas nobody else does. Yeah, but again, also, but where it sort of seeps into madness is this idea that when, you know, shit has clearly hit the fan, he's there quoting the rules yeah. of the mm. book. And it's, again, a bit like Lewis, actually, in Deliverance, where you're sort of fed one thing, which is like, this guy is just a, a by-the-booker who is going to get them all killed because he is ignoring the reality of the situation, go, rules are rules, this is what guardsmen do. And yet he's the one who can make a homemade fucking grenade yeah. to use to defend themselves. So again, another complex character. I like him. I, mean, I like that there's a bit of social comment here, political <coughs> comment here about the, the National Guard, because it's a mixed race group, but they do make reference to the fact that they're normally used... Uh, as part of the noble tradition of tear gassing black students, yeah. which is obviously quite a quite a political thing. So I know we're in the eighties by this point, but it's that's a big thing to say at the start of your film, yeah, about your heroes as well. So our heroes are off into the bayou, um, which is just great as a setting. It's great because of how I think visually, whereas Deliverance is like spectacle, this isn't. 
but it does work as being a really oppressive environment. What you lose in terms of it being an attractive-looking film, because I think for a large part, while they're in the bayou, it's ugly. It doesn't really capture the beauty. It's just misty and nasty and dirty and muddy and grey. But in terms of an oppressive environment to sort of feel like actually eventually, I think after about an hour of watching them in the bayou, I was like, I felt like I need them to get out. Yeah, It worked. Mm. And I think Walter Hill and the the use of sound, the fact there's barely any music and the use of silence and then the use of animals becoming really loud to fuck with you. Is great. Yeah, everything's green and grey and brown. And, and whereas Deliverance, it looks like paradise. Here it looks like a quite frightening alien planet to me. Mm. Which I think is intentional as mm. well. I think because I think as we talked about with Deliverance, this idea of watching it going, this is like an alien planet. This could be a troop of space marines on yeah. an alien planet and you get the same story. And then pulling back from that and going, and yet this is America in the 20th century it's a kind of a weird thing to accept that this is here. And I know you feel like you never really believe they're far from civilization. No, I don't know. It was only because of the disparity in the budgets. I was a bit shocked. Like it's not, it wasn't made that long after deliverance. So the, it's not just inflation that deliverance is 2 million. This is 7.6. And it, you know, it, deliverance doesn't look like a $2 million movie in terms of the breadth of it. Whereas this does feel super low budget. You feel really hemmed in. I imagine it's on purpose but it would have been nice to try and get the sense of isolation and the sweeping majesty. And, you know, right towards the end when a train rushes past, you're like, yeah, it always felt like you were this close from civilization to mm. me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 That's my, that's my response to that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Stop saying yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so uh, we immediately get a sign that these soldiers have a similar arrogance uh, to Burt Reynolds in Deliverance. Uh, Reese is cutting through fishing nets rather than stepping over them, which is just a dick move. Yep. I mean, like, not hard to step over those. Yeah, it's almost that American exceptionalism there, isn't it? That's what we're passing comment on, sort of the arrogance of the American military that will just cut swathes through whatever's in front of them, not caring about who it's going to affect. Yeah. And then their way is blocked by flood water, but they discover a riverside abattoir, uh, the camp of some Cajun trappers, um, again, the film does a, a really interesting job of sort of illustrating the Cajun culture on screen, which at this point had barely been seen mm. in American cinema. And I still don't think it's that prevalent. No. I think it's one of those... I mean, I learned more reading around uh, the Cajuns um, after watching this. Than, I mean, to me, it's like, I love that food, Cajun food. And that was it. Mm. And it's like the whole history of where they came from. They came from Canada uh, during the uh, British and French War up there. They uh, emigrated south and set up this community. And I think, like, it's too much to go into here, but to read around that is very, very interesting. So I like the bit of debate here because uh, the lines are now drawn between the rational soldiers, Harden and Spencer, who we are gradually starting to see as our hero heroes, and the arrogant, stupid ones of like Stucky and Reese about how whether they should steal these canoes or mm. not. It's good because it adds a reasonable argument to a film. Like they don't just do something stupid. Yeah. Mm. They have a debate about it. I mean, I think it's kind of funny going, well, leave the Cajuns a note yeah. just to say we've got the canoes. But then having the discussion about leaving them a boat so they can retrieve their canoes from the far side of the lake. This all makes you go, they've been reasonable. Yes. Which is why the next thing that happens, I think, is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Which is the whole movie like, is, is, it lands on this dime of whether or not you 
are okay with Stucky opening fire with some blanks on some Cajuns and that idiotic thing leading to this catastrophe and you're fine with that, or whether this is just a stupid movie because it's just that stupid thing and all this has happened because of it and you can never, ever escape the feeling of, like, the guy was just such a fucking idiot, though, yeah. and that hangs over everything that happens. Should it be more of a more of like the canoe incident where they reason it out and yet they still end up in conflict with these Cajun trappers, would that be better than just this idiotic guy yeah. opening fire? Because especially, I think the movie is trying, I don't know if just tastes have changed or, because obviously the American military itself has made a lot more manoeuvres and overtures in the intervening years. And so would it, did it play as a joke at the time, a joke that went wrong? Because even Stucky can't believe that people are pissed off with him. Mm. And are we meant to think you like, oh yeah, kind of so, you know, maybe it was funny, maybe it wasn't funny. It's such a dick thing to do. So, I mean, he does, but he, I mean, they'd establish the fact that he thinks this is funny in yeah. the opening scene. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he's just, for me, it's the, the, the two reasons that this happened is one is about American imperialism and one is about American stupidity. Mm. So, so, you, so that's why you've got, you've got both, both these incidents happen to, to contribute to the fallout. Although the canoe thing doesn't really, it all seems to be the fact that he, like, to me, everything would have been fine. The Cajuns are standing, the Cajun, Cajun trappers are standing on the bank and they're looking at them and there's no conflict at all. It's like they've taken the boats, but at that point, no one's angry. We don't see, we don't see, I think they are angry. They've taken their livelihood away. They probably can't read the note that's been read. They probably haven't seen the note that's been read. I think they're livid. We just don't see them. And that's my question. It's like, are we supposed <clears> to believe at this point it would already have happened? Because to me, I was annoyed because it, it's basically, they thought a guy with a gun was trying to murder them, so of course they fought back. Yeah. yeah. And I just, it always sort of grated that that was it. Yeah. Sure. And we'll talk more about stupid decisions after this break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's more to Irish history than St. Patrick. And Shane Todd and Hazel Hayes are here to tell you all about it on We're Not Fucking Historians, the Irish history podcast with a few facts and plenty of crack, like the legendary Irish warrior Cú Colin. Some sources say he killed the dog by driving a hurling stone down its throat. Now, he's six. Hazel, <laughs> did someone say the naughty step? Jesus, someone, someone went to bed without <laughs> supper, didn't they? Someone <laughs> called Super Nanny because he's at it again. Or Ned Kelly, Australia's infamous Irish-born bush ranger. Punishment was imprisonment with or without hard labour. I'd, I'd prefer without. If possible. <laughs> yeah. If it's going. Do you have, do you have any without hard labour? Yeah, can I have the without labour substitute, please? Can, can, I, I, get, can I get the hard labour on the side? Can I get almond um, <laughs> instead of hard labour, please? Search We're Not Historians. That's We're Not Historians in your favourite podcast app for weekly episodes every Tuesday. Let's see what these people have said about it. Amazing. The Times. <laughs> Whoa. New York Times. A lot of times. <laughs> Great, Hazel herself. We're not fucking historians. It's a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. And so now, I'm mm. oh, sorry, you, you start. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that for real? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, so there's, um, I've got questions here. Uh, there's a lot of chat about Harding being on transfer from the El Paso guards. Yeah, and I didn't understand. Cool, me neither. Chris? Uh, I think sometimes people don't like Texans. Yeah, but I think it's very specific. I, he didn't I, travel to me, like, that. why they would hate him. I've been to Texas 25 times, maybe. So I love Texas. I just want to go on the record and say that. Are you scared? But I think some <laughs> people don't like Texans. Okay. okay. So in Louisiana, it, they don't like Texans. I guess that's what they're, that's what they're telling So it makes him okay. more of an outsider. Is yeah. that the thing? They're trying to make him more of an, even more of an outsider. Fine. All right. I get that. I just was, I was a bit lost as to whether we were meant to understand without prior knowledge of like what the Texans Louisiana relationship was. Fine. Uh, it's uh, the reason I think I ask is because on Wikipedia it describes his uh, arrival in the group as a cynical transfer from Texas, and I was like, yeah, okay, all right, fine. Uh, anyway, Reese, being the psycho he is, has real bullets, but he won't share them until Hardin puts a knife to his throat, which obviously ain't going to end well. Uh, Reese does tell Stucky it's not his fault. It is. <laughs> uh, and then they find uh, a Cajun trapper called Amos Moses, played by the brilliant Brian James. In his cabin. Did you, did, when did you clock it with him? It took me a while. No, I was, I was, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, Blade Runner's, Blade Runner's been at this point. No, 
Wait, nineteen eighty? No, Blade Runner is just around the corner for him. Yeah. What he done? Wake up! Time to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Walter Hill loved him. He's in Forty Eight Hours as well. Mm, yeah. Um, and we loved him in Tango and Cash. We did. <laughs> did we? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> I mean, possibly not for the reasons that we should have done, but yes. <laughs> so, Casper um, uh, is playing at being in charge, decides to capture the Cajun, but then Bowden just loses his fucking mind, claims to be an avenging angel and paints a cross on his chest before blowing everything up. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. It's just a problem because it bored, for me, it was bordering a bit. And also because I thought Casper was quite British and a bit dad's army and it all got a bit farce because they see... Uh, the Brian James Trapper in his hut and they're like let's sneak up on him and then they go splash 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 and then try and get him and then they break his jaw and they're like no he can't talk and it's like that's hilarious but not that's very sad but um, the when Bowden does the stuff with the cross you find out later that he's unwell yes. so that makes sense you don't know that now so you have to you have to go back and I think we're actually actively not meant to know that now because he in the weirdest like exchange in it like goes it was a joke yeah <laughs> you're like Okay, wow. and he yeah. says to Spencer, he's like, you out of everyone, I can't believe you didn't get the joke. Yeah. Which is odd. Once you know he's unwell, it, it makes sense, or some sort of sense, but at the, when you're watching the scene, you, it's very if you've had a feeling of like incredulity, it's really hard to forget that feeling for the rest of the film, which is like, what on earth is going on? Especially because they've been missing for 12 hours and he appears to have lost his mind yeah, over it's it. It's just excessive behaviour. Yeah, it, That's what he calls it. Mm. Sorry for my excessive behaviour. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> yeah. There's dynamite in there. Excessive's doing a lot of work there. Uh, they discover eight dead rabbits hanging up, which I like. Yeah, it's, it's, I like that kind it's, of it's, thing. I knew, I knew it. Like, it's not... All right, I've done it now. They were like, oh my God, were these rabbits left for us? I was like, that's not that spooky. <laughs> like, it's just eight yeah, dead rabbits. But I think it works on that level, which they do in Deliverance as well. It's this sort of paranoia breeding confusion where... John Voight, Ed in Deliverance, isn't sure if it is the mountain man, but he's so like terrified at that point that he believes that that is the mountain man who killed them and there's a bit of doubt there. And here, there's the suggestion that these are just eight rabbits that the trappers have strung up. I thought that, yeah. They're just their rabbits. Yeah, they're just there. Yeah. And then it's like, but is it actually a warning? And you don't know, and they don't know. Yeah, fair enough. It's kind of it's kind of, it, it builds the paranoia and the tension within the group, mm. which then does I mean, the same. I mean, like, at least viewer. it's ambiguous. Whereas in a minute, where they're like, "Were those booby traps left for us?" And it's like, <laughs> "What those massive bag traps sticking out of the swamp? What moron stands on them? You can see mm. them about a mile away." Yeah, uh, there's a dog attack, which is a bit meh. Well, I got confused when they hear the hunting dogs coming. Some of them are saying, "Oh, that's a good thing." I don't see a situation where that's a good thing. Do they not search for missing people with dogs? Is that not what they I think? assumed that they thought. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that, then you're right. You're absolutely I right. I assumed they thought wrong. it was maybe the army or it was maybe sort of civilization was nearby. Um, I just thought oh, they yeah. sound hungry, those dogs. <laughs> mm. They do the classic uh, Cujo thing of like, mat the fur and it makes dogs look way more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, just true. mat that fur. Mm. It does. Get that firm matted. Casper uh, puts Tyrone at the front. Uh, Tyrone gets stabbed by a big spring trap and dies. Uh, we learn that Casper is clearly out of his depth. Um, and it's, again, like we touched on at the start, it's just really interesting how the body count is rising now and Casper is still in charge and Spencer and Hardin haven't disobeyed him, which is interesting and weird. I think by this point, you... you... <sighs> 
You'd well, expect them to go, listen, because they're going, you're walking the wrong way. We Like Spencer repeatedly says, this is the wrong way. The highway is that mm. way, which is really good for the audience because you're like, oh, my God, they probably could get rescued if they didn't follow this guy. Mm. But then you're like, why are you still following him? Because it's a court-martial if you don't. Yeah. And so the way Harden goes about it, who's the, probably the smartest of them all, is he's sort of whispering in Spencer's ear. No, trying Spencer to get... whispering in Harden's ear. And that's because Harden's the outsider. Spencer's saying to Harden, you do it. You 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 can do it. And it's Harden who says, no way, because that's a court-martial. I thought, but isn't Harden saying to Spencer, you do it? Yeah, I think they're basically having a conversation about who can do it. And I think Spencer, because he's slightly, I think he thinks himself... And I think Walter Hill actually says he thinks himself as separate from the rest of the mm. men. Kind of well, he is. They've made him separate. He thinks they're separate because he's called them a bunch of rednecks. Mm. And they consider him separate because he's a Texan. And some Texans do think they're separate to America. Oh, okay. No, I think Spencer thinks he's separate, though. I think Spencer, uh, Hill says, because he, he describes the character as someone who can separate himself from the rest of the men with a wisecrack mm-hmm. and immediately thinks himself better. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying he's looking down on them. He's called them a bunch of rednecks. So he thinks they're lesser. That's Harden though, isn't it? The yeah, Texan. it's Harden. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Spencer. No, it doesn't. I found it really hard to tell people apart because I don't know them and they're all wearing a uniform and Spencer's got blonde hair so that kind of helps <laughs> but I really, I thought... Harding's got a massive Powers Booth face. Yeah, but Harding, Reese, and there's another one and I was like, fucking hell, I'm I really could see struggling. Powers Booth and Fred Ward looking a bit similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I just think at this point, you know, what do you need to happen I mean, I know a court martial is probably bad, but Spencer doesn't really take this very seriously anyway. I don't think he's particularly concerned. Hardin is a chemical engineer in real life. I get it. A court martial probably means jail time. But you've got to imagine that they would go, look, someone fucking died here. So we we just decided this was the right thing to do. At what point can you break military protocol? Mm. How many people need to die? And I was starting to go, this is a bit silly. They've already, that's the, they've, they've broken the chain of command dissolves like two minutes in anyway. Mm. They, they're they terrible, terrible. They're even terrible weekend warriors. The bit where he's like, the map's gone. It's like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> you've only got one map. Have you got the compass? That's gone too. <laughs> oh my God, this is a shit show. <laughs> Put it in the same bag as the map. Route 101, keep them separate. I think stealing canoes off indigenous peoples to go to a brothel would maybe get you a court martial anyway. So the fact that there is a long tradition of soldiers on leave going to brothels. Sure, like it's in every frigging war movie. I wonder if it's in if it is real in real life. So I mean, I don't think it's that weird that that's what they're up to. No, I know, but I'm just saying maybe the army doesn't embrace that as an exterior thing. Like they might say inwardly, yeah, you boys do what you're going to do, but outwardly, you didn't, you shouldn't steal canoes to get to the sex workers quicker. I see what you're saying. Canoeing to a brothel is rare. Yeah, I think uh, I've got respect it. I think if you're canoeing to a brothel, you you, you really want to go to that brothel. It's quite it's, it's a big thing. You got to get yeah. a canoe. You got to get whatever the stick thing is you use with the canoe. The big stick. The big stick. Yeah. I think the trouble is you haven't got a life jacket. You're taking your life. It's certainly more of of an event. You know, you definitely want to pay for sex if you're canoeing to a brothel. Right? Yeah. Okay. You're putting in the extra drink. (laughs) No, I mean you're putting in the extra effort. It's like I really want to pay for sex tonight because I've got to get in a canoe. (laughs) It's not like at the end of the road. I might just pop down the brothel. It's like I've got to get on the river in my canoe, get my life jacket out. But boy, do I want to pay for sex. I suppose it's the nature of this podcast is that we are comparing. 
two films and I watched them very close together. When you're watching Deliverance, the idea that you do something just because it's there is very universal, I would mm. say. The idea that you do something to go to a brothel is less universal. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I think I might have misled you at the start. The commanding officer, like the, the yeah. National Guard aren't like, you do this training exercise <laughs> yeah. and you go to the That's brothel. And their mission is to get across the river. It's right. not just uh, because it wasn't a river. They were supposed to walk across that. Oh, I see. They now can't. So they're not actually in the canoes because of the brothel. Right. It, that's honestly well, what I thought. Right. When I said at the start, it's <laughs> a training just... exercise where if you complete it, the prize is sex. Yeah. That was a joke. That's not why I laughed so much because that's not a joke. That's no. what I thought. No, this... it's just something Spencer set up. It's the Brucey bonus, as Bruce Forsyth never said, but bless it. <laughs> <laughs> the Brucey bonus is sex workers. I just honestly thought they said, we really want to get there as quick as we can. So we're going to get these canoes and go to the brothel. That, and I was like, well, I'm out now because I don't really get that. So right. yeah. No, they... Uh, th- no. Okay. The brothels are sort of... Uh, well, I've got to change quite a lot of my notes. <laughs> so you don't need to give me a minute. It's, it's got quite fixated. <laughs> I'm just you wait. <laughs> yeah. the, the brothel's important because it, it doesn't help you empathise with Spencer, who we are meant to empathise with. But that's It's a barrier of, to entry, I would yeah. say. <laughs> Well, like a can- like a river. Outside <laughs> <laughs> a brothel. Again, that's what I'm talking about. you got to really want to go. There's a, a literal barrier. Uh, so like I said, Casper's going mad in his own quiet way, building homemade grenades. Um, uh, Reese and Hardin have their fight. I like Brian James in this scene. Mm. Kill him. Yeah, he's good. Kill him. And he fucking does He as is well. an interesting character, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant. Because you are, you so aren't sure throughout the film where where he's coming from. Yeah, and when he says, when you know that he can speak English, but he's only mm. said kill him, and that's the sort of thing you could pick up or you've heard yeah. before. So it doesn't give it away. You're like, oh, you bastard! You you could understand everything. You just think, oh, yeah, maybe. So that's why the reveal later is so brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Finally, Casper gets overruled, and Spencer's like, uh, "We're going to go this way," um, which actually isn't a great idea because it's the attack of the trees. <laughs> uh, I'm unclear why they're falling down. I like it visually, but are they being pulled? Are they being pushed? Where are the people pushing them? Where are the pushies? Where are the pullers? Why are these trees falling down? How is it the exact trees on the routes that the soldiers are taking that are falling down? How did the Cajuns know they were going to go that way? How do you make a tree partially fall down and then fall down at exactly the right time? I have questions. Alex, they're just silly traps. Right. And they are silly, unfortunately. But just forget it. They're just traps. Fine. Shall we kill off a few soldiers? Uh, Stucky gets killed trying to follow a helicopter to safety. Mm. Drowning in quick mud. I don't know what it is because Stucky is such an idiot. But And I think it's a great performance by... I didn't write down his... Lewis, Lewis something. Yeah, cool, Lewis. Right? It's definitely Lewis. Um, anyway, it's a great performance from him because you're sort of Smith. like... Lewis Smith. He's such an idiot throughout and caused this whole thing and is a moron. And yet that bit where he's so desperately trying to get to the helicopter and his face as he's sinking into the mud, he does revert to a child. Well, yeah, it's it's very scary. It's it's a nasty death. Yes, really nasty. Yeah, you don't see it very often. No, and you've got that. It's it feels like the Vietnam um, imagery as well, where he's running after the the chopper. Yeah, but um, uh, I met Ron Perlman once, and I asked him if he was frightened of anything. Mm -hmm. Quicksand. Yep. Just quicksand. He said nothing else, just quicksand. How do you survive quicksand? You need... You lie a a starship? No, I know this. Uh, You toss them a snake. (laughs) 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 Idiot. 
<laughs> which they have to grab, but they don't want to. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Okay. You don't, want to, you don't want to grab it. So a lot of people are frightened of snakes, but you will grab it. Is there anything else you can use? No, just this snake. Also, so I don't, I'm not 100% sure that quicksand is actually a thing. Really? I think there's there's wet sand that you can, you know, it's tricky to walk through, but it ain't sucking you under to kill you, I don't think. Really? I think that's an invention of the cowboy movie. No, quicksand's real. Okay. I have no evidence to support this, but I think so. And certainly in the swamp, I don't know if it's even quicksand or just very gloopy mud. Sure. Let me just do my quick public service announcement, which isn't in this film, but I'd just like to drop it in. How to survive a riptide, swim parallel to the shore. You're welcome. We can move on. Is that right? I'm obsessed with riptides. I, I am too. Uh, how to avoid uh, a bear chasing you. We uh, did this, didn't we? You run, again. You run downhill yeah. and the bear chases you and then you quickly do a U-turn and run back uphill because a bear can't turn as quickly and will roll down to the bottom of the hill Cool, and you can escape. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for that. No, it's important. Again, again. need to know. Yeah. How do you, how, if you're in a shark attack, oh, for God's sake. you punch it on the nose, yeah. its nose bleeds, it smells its own blood and it eats itself. <laughs> <laughs> I've told that joke before. He hasn't, has he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's um, interesting. Now I look like an idiot. Broken That's fucking annoying. record, mate. <laughs> broken record. I've been in this room too long. Right. Casper uh, goes proper mad now. And I think he thinks it's either a suicide mission. And this is why Casper's a great character. It's either a suicide mm. mission where he's like, I really genuinely want to help my fellow, like troops you know i'm trained for this they've trained me for this i think i can do it and it's the right thing to do to try and prevent these attackers from picking us off one by one or he just thinks he's invincible because he's in the national guard and yeah. he's trained for this and there's no way some cajun trappers can out maneuver the national guard and he's going to win this who knows mm. Yeah, but it, I feel like it's almost a, the imagery is almost a bit of a piss take of that American hero in that war movie mm, running yeah. with that bayonet and and killing everyone in and saving the day. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to take the piss out of that and undercut yeah. it here. And a guy whose name I don't remember uh, says two very effective things before he carks it, which is, "I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not supposed to be here." Before he gets shot. Um, which is a really effective line. It covers two things. Firstly, that war isn't fair and you're not judged on whether you're a good or bad person. And also the idea that war doesn't come to, like, it doesn't wait for you to come to it. It comes yeah. to you, mm. which I think it's a really, like, just those two lines are, are really quite effective. True. It's a, just, it's a shame they just didn't lean into it a bit more about, the silly is the wrong word, but I do kind of mean the silliness of you having to do the stupid shit at the weekend kind of thing. Like, they have people have a proper some real talk about being a chemical engineer or something in a bit, but I don't remember a conversation <laughs> where someone's like, "It's absolutely ridiculous that we are here. Like we're not even quote marks proper soldiers." Where you can have those thoughts about war, they're playing at it, and it's got them, and that's a double layer of ridiculousness. I'm not even meant to be here today. <laughs> yeah, I'm meant to be at work. Uh, well, the Cajuns have Amos back, um, which is good because Spencer suggests earlier that that would be enough to make them stop hunting them. They just want the Amos, who the, the soldiers have caught, they want him back and that'll be enough. And this is great because they get Amos back and they still keep hunting them, which is important, mm. I think, at this point because it moves the Cajuns from people who've been wronged yeah. into villains, yes. which kind allows of. us to have the ending that we're going to get. Kind of, but they are... It, they say, oh, um, they've got him back now, so now they're hunting us for fun. But mm. I feel like they're hunting them for revenge. 
which but, which which is more of a grey area. I guess but, I, I think I I don't think to say they're doing it for fun is is what's happening here. I think they're no, but the movie does want you to think that because the character says it. But I'm I, but I think as the audience, you're meant to think right. These Cajuns are now that's it's nasty what is, they're doing. Why is Alex telling me what I'm meant to think? No, I think the film <laughs> is telling you. Welcome to the party, you. pal. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just uh, I'll just read the rest. <laughs> Quiet now. I like that Quiet stuff now. where they're carrying. I like that stuff where they're carrying coach around though when he's when he's unconscious because i think it's like the literal embodiment of that his hate and prejudice is literally weighing them down at this point mm. that's which i think it's a really nice symbolic yeah thing well bowden's out of the picture uh but amos is back they hear a train they find bowden <clears throat> has been hanged or has hanged himself uh, a subject uh, which really shouldn't matter because amos has a gun and <laughs> he's telling them to run before his nasty friends turn up and harding himself has just been saying i want to live i want to get home to my wife and yet he bothers to start going yeah, did you do this? Did you do this to the guy who painted a crucifix on it? Or did he do it to himself? It's like, at this point, surely you're like, I, I can't win this fight and I want to live. So it's an odd time to start making a stand about the morality of hanging someone mm. or not. But it feels like something Harding would do to me. It does. Still. He's an interesting character. Yeah. But what is it? The, the, the Cajun says, we live here. This is our home and nobody don't fuck with us. Mm. Uh, and I think that's why they're doing, again, I think that's why they're doing what they're doing. And also because they Get can. Get off my land. Yeah. yeah. It's because they can because it's lawless. Like, they don't operate under the laws of society where the soldiers do. Well, it doesn't mean it's lawless. It just means the laws are different. Mm. Sorry, yes. Don't yes. steal our canoes. Don't fire blanks at us. Yeah. And then don't, don't start killing us. Don't steal our canoes. That's a motto to live by. <laughs> right. This is where, in my opinion, the film gets very fucking good. It's a different film. It's, it's unreal. unbelievable. This is okay. so good. So... This was my thing. Yeah. I just remember this being this 15 minute sequence, the most tense thing I thought I'd ever saw when I watched it. At you the time. like this because you like The Wicker Man so much. Well, it's... I, it's, it's, I've written down, maybe seen Wicker Man too many times. <laughs> but uh, it's just this these feelings it gives me. And that's what I was interested in. 20 years later, it still made me feel like this. And it doesn't because I because this time I know what's going to happen. See, right? I didn't. So, so the tension wasn't <clears throat> there. But I have this memory of just feeling like it was unbearable. It is. Yeah, it's, Great. It's I'm good. so pleased. Let me tell you, yeah. you, you were absolutely right. I'm I'm so it pleased. is unbearable. It's 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 like it's it, it's got the same DNA as the dueling banjo scene. Yeah. In the sense that it's really nice and really terrifying at the mm. same time. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's you, so well you done. You feel all of it. Like, are they being paranoid? They've been made welcome, but mm. there's a noose. They've got food and drink. <laughs> yeah. But here is it, it's yeah. perfect. People and have shown up on a boat. There's nice music. A pretty yeah, lady's asked me to dance. But things like people are singing and dancing, but they seem to be having too much fun. <laughs> and when a director does that, where you're showing stuff that's totally normal, mm. but it sours like that, it's really, really. Really and also you've been on that journey that they've reached a road, they've got in a car and you sort of almost like think, well, that's the end. Yeah. So they're going to be taken to a town. And the fact that they're then taken to a town where they may have been safer in the actual swamp <laughs> yeah. is mm. nuts. And the fact that you've ratcheted up the tension in this last like 20 minutes, it's incredible. It's right. really good. Yeah, excellent. It's really good. And it saves this. If this had all been in the bayou, I'd have been like, meh. I agree. It's okay. weird, though. You know, you were talking about the budget earlier mm. and how it does look a bit sort of low budget, grotty, grimy. 
I expected it to be far gorier than it actually was because okay. of that that old movie effect. That sort of like you sort of look at it and you go, "This is going to like a, a real video nasty kind of vibe." Sure. I mean, the video nasty aspect of it is the watching the slaughter of the pigs, which was done mm. for real. Um, you the, can tell. Yeah, uh, but I will say this because I did. You know what I'm like. Uh, uh, Southern Comfort features Cajun residents in Louisiana killing wild boars, the locals slaughtered pigs on a daily basis in order to feed their families, and the production chose to film this act for the movie. Uh, the ki- the pigs were killed humanely in inadvertent commas, um, uh, but they still objected to it being used in the movie, the AHA, because. They didn't give a reason. I imagine it's because it's animals' deaths being used for entertainment regardless of whether or not they're being mm. used as food simultaneously. Sure, yeah. But the fact that it's cross-cut with it's horrible to to watch. humans being slaughtered and animals being slaughtered, mm. you know, I think the film is saying, what's the difference here? Yeah. that is Is that just as bad as this? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the cross-cutting is too specific, I think. Mm. Uh, the fact that this whole music, the music and the dance goes on for so long, I started to feel insane. I, <laughs> I genuinely started to feel insane. and I wanted to hear that dance floor with that old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harding being like terrified and Spencer being like relaxed and you feel like you're being pulled from pillar to post with like, what am I meant to Why be? Why Spencer so chill? Mm. I guess, but he has been chill for the whole movie pretty much. So... Um... And then uh, it turns out that Hardin was right and mm. they were bad guys and they stabbed someone in the cock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I mean, he was wrong, I feel, in that they, would be, they weren't being lured there and, and those people are genuinely nice and we're looking after them, but he was also right that these people were still He was right to, to be paranoid. If he hadn't been paranoid, he wouldn't have seen them coming in on the boat. Exactly. So he stabs him in the cock, fine. The the chase is a bit there's a comedy domino effect where he sort of slams a like slams a door or throws a chair at them and they go down in like a, a yeah. kind of three stooges way, which isn't great. But um ultimately, you know, you are genuinely relieved. Again, only for a moment. Because they kill the hunters and then they're like, shit, how many others in this like seemingly nice town are going to want to do the same are there is there going to be repercussions for us killing them because they don't know what happened in the swamp so they make a run for the forest they hear vehicles turning up and i swore down the film was going to end before you knew whether Mm. or not they were good vehicles or bad vehicles and Mm. the fact that it shows you the military star Mm. you know it's the army and they are safe is the right decision just like the hand coming up, being a dream in deliverance is the right decision. I think both these movies end on an unambiguous note, yeah. mm-hmm. which I think is really important after what they've put you through. Yeah. So uh, the only other bit is quite a funny story about uh, what Iranian state TV did with this movie. Is this true? I couldn't find evidence of this. I want to believe it's true because it sounds true and it's kind of funny. So Iranian state TV recut the movie, named it Operation Lagoon, uh, shortened it to 95 minutes, and the story was changed to show a group of US Army soldiers who opposed the Vietnam War sent on a mission among manhunters by the US government equipped only with blanks. The soldiers are killed, and and, uh, in the end, the US authorities turn up. So you see the truck turn up with the star on it, but then after it fades to black, you hear gunshots and Hardin and Spencer going, ah! (laughs) And it's to show that the US government killed killed the rest of the survivors anyway because they opposed the Vietnam War. Cool. Apparently it was a massive hit on Iranian TV. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but I want to believe it is. Shall we do the bit? I Wait. have one more quote. This Wait. is from Walter Hill. 
And he says, I always thought it'd be interesting to go back and remake the movie, except remake it from the Cajun point of view. These are good, solid guys who had their lives and families dependent on these things. They overreact to something that happens. They assume they will be hunted down and tried for murder. And so their only alternative is to kill the witnesses. These are pretty tough guys, so they're willing to take that kind of measure. And I think you can make a very interesting movie on the other side of it. I think that's one of the strengths of the movie. There's a kind of ambiguity. Mm. Fair enough. That was an interesting quote. Yeah. I agree. I think he'd be on the side of the Cajuns after Stucky acts like a fucking dickhead. Yes, I agree. Yeah. All right, then now we'll do the bits. Uh, best scene, Victoria. Everything at the end ne- in the dance, all of that, um, uh, for reasons I have said. It's just a different movie and it's very good. Chris, everything at the end. <laughs> uh, mine is... Everything at the end, uh, <laughs> thrown in with death by quicksand, which is a real thing. <laughs> MV- and if we've got that wrong, uh, it's cool. Don't worry and tell us. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> MVW, Chris. So, most valuable whatever. I have been um, listening to the score of this movie for 20 years. Wow. I went out and bought that. Is it ro- like seven minutes long? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just this beautiful pieces of Raikuda guitar as they go through the swamps. And it's just a stunning um, score. It really got me into Raikuda, who I've bought a lot of his albums since then, and he's fantastic. So I love what his music does to this film. I think it elevates some of the visuals. Victoria? Brian James. Good, isn't he? Yeah, he's really good. I think he as I just think he's brilliant. And when he disappears, when he so basically when he pops up at the end and he starts speaking full English, you're like, God, I wish you'd been in it more mm. because that's such a brilliant it's good that, that you don't, I guess, that you don't have more of him, but it's just such a brilliant reveal. He's really scary, but he's doing a good thing now that you can understand him. I just think he's very good. Um I think he's a lot better <laughs> than some other people in it. So yeah. Keith Carradine, is he one of your not so good? I, I mean, just really, I, I, I really like, like his presence. Yeah, I do like him, and I do think he looks like a movie star, which mm. I'm a bit, I'm a bit crap like that. I do quite like so that. I think that's maybe what I liked about him because he's just got. A, you sort of look at him and you go, he's gonna, he's gonna be around for quite a while in this movie yeah. from the get go. Because I don't know whether it's like just his attitude or like the way he looks. Anyway, I just, I really liked him. I think there was I think like... considering how he opens, you know, which is like, hey boys, I got us some sex workers. And you're yeah. like, oh, I'm not sure. You're like, The fact that he then remains thoroughly likeable throughout and I think your empathy for him grows, if anything, throughout the movie. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of his performance. Yeah. He's mine. Finally then, what would you change? Victoria. So we have kind of said it, but... Stucky's act just didn't travel for me. It's such a stupid thing to do. And bear in mind when it happens, the leader, what's he called? Poole, mm. who's like the one good dude because he's like, we shouldn't, you know, trying to keep order. But the, he's still alive. So he has crap at keeping order because that is not something that his soldier should even consider doing, let alone actually do. So I can't get over that. So at any point when they've got Brian James, you're like, is he the right guy? Is he the wrong guy? It's like, if you're the wrong guy, I feel sorry for you and hate the soldiers. If you're the right guy, I still feel sorry for you and hate the soldiers because you are justified in your reaction to this 
hostile act of aggression. So it shouldn't be a hostile act of aggression. You've already said it, Alex. It should be a misunderstanding, yeah. which is meant to be a greeting or an explanation or something. You can't shoot blanks at them, basically. But they've stolen the canoes and Stucky should try and do this, which is in keeping with his character, which is uh, mischievous and young and uh, short-sighted and all the rest of it. Steal something from them. Like, you know, see something he likes while they're having a conversation about borrowing the canoes and then they realise that something important yeah. to them has been stolen by him. I can't even... You make you, you do something that you think... You can still have all those themes of like American imperialism and cultural misunderstandings where he offers them something that's meant to be as an apology and it's the most offensive thing you can think of. Mm. He didn't mean to do it, but it all kicks off from there. And then there'd be much more light and shade in these series of unfortunate misunderstandings hmm. rather than the inciting incident you're just like oh fuck these guys like they're idiots that was the other title for it a series of unfortunate misunderstandings <laughs> in the bayou yeah. okay that's victoria's change chris uh one of mine we touched on really and it was what i said about drew i think drew loses it too quickly in deliverance and i think as you said with coach it sort of happens very fast and we don't really know what's was going on in his head. I think this, that sort of gets mishandled. But a more general one, and it's something that you mentioned, Alex. Uh, I don't think we have to make these guys capable, but let's have them use their real world skills mm. to, to, to kill the odd trap or at least prolong their lives a little bit. I mean, you're setting it up. You're telling us what they will do. Have the odd moment when they're right, one of them's a doctor and can actually help someone. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and as you said, one of them's a chemical engineer, something like that where they could do, they could do something with a weapon. But I just think it's, I think it's there for you and they, they missed it. I, I wish that um, Spencer and uh, Hardin, so Powers Booth and Keith Carrington, I just wish they had a little bit more chemistry. I, I understand that they're meant to be very different and therefore they come at it from very different perspectives, how they deal with it. I just, there's a moment sort of quite late on before they end up in the Cajun town where they're sort of having a chat on the log and it, like he makes a joke about his wife and stuff and it's meant to be the bonding moment and it just doesn't, it doesn't give me the I really want these two to survive feeling that I feel would elevate that final 20 minutes just even more than it is already, which is my love for these two because of their time together and the way they interact with each other, which just as a tool for letting me get to know them, that interaction would, would have been just stronger, just something to hang the last 20 minutes on like I want them to live. Mm. And there we go. That is Southern Comforts. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, my friends, Vicky, why don't you go first? <laughs> okay, so, uh, Deliverance is a masterpiece. So this is, it was going to be hard, but I think Southern Comfort does have all the right ingredients and to contend, and the end is a totally different film. Mm. Um, it just kicks up a gear massively in terms of, like, the threat, the encroaching terror, the sort of the weirdness, the out-of-worldness. And making seemingly in quote marks like innocent things look very suspect. Uh, but I just I know I've misun maybe misunderstood the hookers thing. But I think having empathy in <laughs> sex this workers. sex workers in this film in these types of in survivalist horror thrillers whatever a layer of empathy is just an added pleasure. You don't need it. You can watch Predator and not be like that's what I would do whatever. Or you can watch something very serious blah blah blah. But if you've got empathy you just get another kick out of it because you think, what you know, what would I do in that situation? And you get to address your own prejudices because we live in a city, we get to watch city slickers go in and do their thing and you think, oh shit, you know, I would be guilty of that as well. But because, um, and the thrill of like surviving the unimaginable in somebody else's shoes and all the rest of it. But the trouble is because of the going to visit the brothel, 
And also because the soldiers just seem so bad at being soldiers, <laughs> I didn't have that empathy. I, and I really struggled. I know you said like Hardin and Spencer are meant to be so different. And I don't really see it. Like I don't see who these people are. Mm. You just get a sense of four friends so quickly who aren't that different actually, but they have distinct personalities. And I didn't think that the soldiers did enough mm. uh, to, for me to fully get that empathy. So obviously deliverance. I think I read a review that, said a similar thing about how Walter Hill um, applies uh, caricatures, a bit like in Warriors, mm -hmm. um, to these people as opposed to giving you actual That's characters. what I mean, yeah. The bully, mm. the meek one, the something, the something, yep. which is why you've got a character repeatedly saying, I'm a chemical engineer. It's like, <laughs> what does that mean? Use some lizard blood but and also, moss to build a bomb. Let's, let's imagine, how did Hardin become a chemical engineer? Did he, he was born a chemical engineer. Like that's, and It annoys me when people do, I'm married and I'm a chemical engineer. Oh, well, that means I can infer loads of shit from that and I can't. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. So what's your vote? Sorry, deliverance. <laughs> okay. She said that. Uh, Alex. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'll keep it simple. Uh, Southern Comfort is good. Um, and by the end, a shit ton better than I thought it was going to be. And I will say this. I've, I've first watched, so films tend to stay with me a little more after the first watch mm. compared to deliverance. But I am surprised how much I think about Southern Comfort and how much I've thought about it uh, a week later. After 100%. Watching it. That's what happened with me. And that ending really genuinely stays with mm. you. Yeah, it does. Uh, all that said, the other film is Deliverance. So Deliverance, <laughs> that's my vote. That means it's one. Oh, you normally shit. do, your, you yeah, normally do your little winnie thing. Oh, yeah, it's winnie, winnie, it's winnie. There <laughs> <laughs> you go, I forgot my catchphrase. Uh, winnie, winnie, it's winnie. Solid gold. That what one. would you have gone for, Chris? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I am going to go for. Right. This is no hypothetical. <laughs> um, what would you have gone for if your vote mattered? <laughs> Uh, I do like the fact that Walter Hill keeps take, telling that same story again. Um, it's We didn't say it, it's, it's Xenophon's Anabasis, the Greek myth of the warriors having to get back oh, home yeah. okay. in, in alien territory with people trying to kill them. Oh, did, did I not say that from my notes? <laughs> I said it when we did the warriors, right. so you don't need to worry about it. Oh, well, yeah, it. I, I remembered that, mm -hmm. so that's why I, I didn't need to say it. And, and what I do like about Southern Comfort is it captures, I think it does capture the horror of war and it captures that feeling of confusion and genuine fear you must have. Just not the Vietnam War. When you're out, just definitely not <laughs> Vietnam. Uh, when you're out in, in, in combat. And it has one of my favourite endings of all time. Mm. But, as you both said, Deliverance is on another level, I think. And what people forget about Deliverance is there were miles of uneventful serene canoeing before the squealing and the death. Yeah. So it's, it's quite an enjoyable film for a period. But no, uh, Deliverance, it goes that much deeper. And on this watch, I found that that last 20 minutes that you didn't like, Alex. I found it really interesting this time. That got under my skin, which it hadn't done before. So yeah, three for three, uh, Deliverance is the better movie this week. There you go. Deliverance is our winner, but Southern Comfort is very good. I'm glad I was introduced to that this week. Thank you, Chris. So, time to look ahead to next week. Um, again, back to regular service now. So, Victoria, your choices. Reminders yep. of the clue you gave on Monday's episode. Groomed for lies. Ooh. Yeah. So here we go. Uh huh. Who's doing what? So have you checked? Or are you just going to give us one each? Uh, I have checked. Okay. But you were out of the room. You were on the phone. So. I think you've got the one then, that. Then you haven't checked with me. No. I think you've got the one that you want. <laughs> Fine. I say. I'm not sure that's true actually, but I think you've got the one that you need. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be the one that I want right now, but it's the one that I need. It's the one you need. 
Uh, so from 1997, you're watching My Best Friend's Wedding. Okay. And Chris, from 2001, you're watching The Wedding Planner. So that means he gets McConaughey, which is obviously going to piss you off. But you've never seen Erin Brockovich, which is egregious. And so you have to do a bit of Julia Roberts work. <laughs> and so you're, now you're watching My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, is it, is it like Erin Brockovich? <laughs> She is so, so likeable. Okay. I have seen Eat, Pray, Love. Is that, is that like Erin Brockovich? Okay, that is the pairing for next week. My best friend's wedding versus the wedding planner. That's your homework. Have fun with it. Uh, right then. Uh, in the meantime, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at ClashPod. Big week next week. Big oh, for fuck's sake. What? It's a big week. Here we go. Here, <laughs> fucking Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort. No one's ever heard of it. <laughs> big week next week. Do your homework. We are back on Monday talking my best friend's wedding. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Unreal. Or, 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 don't, or don't do your homework. Just listen, listen to the episodes. Unbelievable. <laughs>